What's up? It's Jonathan Hood. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast brought to you by Miller Lite, the presenting sponsor of the 2020 ESPN 1000 Virtual Fantasy Football Championship. Find out how you can be a part of it at ESPNFFC.com. It's ESPNFFC.com. You're listening to Under the Hood. Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the live stream from anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. What's up and welcome in. It's Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Open phone lines for you, 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our phone number. We'll have Summer of Football in an hour from now. You'll be able to hear from Howard Griffith, the two-time Super Bowl champion and also analyst for the Big Ten Network. Also, we'll hear from Jeff Darlington, who covers the NFL for ESPN.com. And also a preview for the UFC later on in the show as well. UFC's got a big show this weekend. We'll have our guy Ray Flores in to preview it for us right here on Chicago's Home for Sports. Eric, I have a question for you, sir. I can't promise an answer, but go ahead. You always give an answer. What you mean? You don't have to promise. You you have to. You got to give me an answer. I'll give you something. You always do. <laughs> so, I'm, okay, so here's my issue. I've had the same ride as you'd know, my, my, my truck. I've had the same one for three or four years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have cracked the windshield on it twice. I th- that's really funny you bring it up because in a matter of eight days, Madison, my wife's windshield cracked, got it replaced, cracked again. Okay, so here's the question about that. Okay, so am I unlucky or is it just happenstance that that happens? Like, I've had it for almost four years and I've cracked it twice. She cracked it in less than a year. Is it that windshield's not as good as they used to be or is it just, is it just me? Is it maybe there's more construction currently? I don't know what it is, but it's a fight with the insurance because we already had it fixed once. Like, it's a mess. Why Like why twice already? Mike, and so I don't know about your windshield when you start looking into it. Apparently, our, like, hers was, had heat sensors. Yeah. So it was like an extra $300 because it was some special one, like, where we couldn't just have some guy come out from his safe light van and do it. Yeah, so, yeah, because now... As far as people coming out to do your windshield, they can be able to fix it the same one instead of having to have it replaced. Right, depending on how big the crack is. That's, that's part of the expression, but that's, expression. that's like what they go off of. <laughs> Set you up for that one. <laughs> uh, I was hoping you'd talk about a big crack there. <laughs> uh, but The rule no. is six inches, actually, part of the expression. If the crack <laughs> oh, is bigger wow. than six inches, wow. you must replace the, the uh, windshield. Wow, okay. <laughs> oh, that, that windshield's a braggart. Wow. I mean, yes, right. Don't be, don't be swinging it around for everybody to see. <laughs> Nonetheless, I just, I look at that and I just, I, I have never cracked two windshields in the same ride before. Now, last time that I cracked it, it was, I you know, the person came and said, okay, we can fix it in your garage. And the guy just fixed it right there. I don't know. I, I wasn't there to see it. It's just magic. I don't know how mm-hmm. they do it. But they, they were able to take care of it. Now, I cracked it again. I'm just like, wow. Now, you know, I could blame construction, but I don't think so. Because here's here's the thing. You could just be driving 
not knowing that you hit something, put it in the garage. Next day you come out and it's like a crack. I'm like, well, who did who, who, who did that? Right, overnight. Yeah, it could be like something with the glass is different because like all of a sudden overnight, for example, my wife's was really small and then it grew to where she had to replace the windshield. So like overnight it traveled all the way across her windshield. Like yeah. while the car was just sitting in the garage, like you said. I mean, I don't want to just drive across like, you know, like I'm ghetto, just driving out there with, uh, with a cracked windshield. But it's just kind of like, okay, am I, am I calling the insurance again? Do, am I calling flow again? Exactly, right. That's, that's, that's funny that you went through the exact same thing. Like, we, like last week, we just got the second windshield fixed. Such a pain. Gosh. So, it's, you know. How jarring is it? Like when that rock hits your windshield, it is so oh. loud and jarring too. It's just all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like it's, that, right? It's just this loud one, <laughs> one crack and you're like, holy cow. It's like, I don't even remember if that even happened or not. You know, I did a lot of traveling going back and forth to um, Hoffman Estates for the Windy City Bulls. And, you know, those are late nights. I don't remember if there's anything going on. I mean, when I was driving through the, the Culver's drive, drive-through in Hoffman Estates, I don't remember hitting the rock at right. all. Right. The worst thing, you're going to get a cheese curd or something like that in the windshield. <laughs> right. Exactly. So the Cubs are losing 6 nothing in the bottom of the third. And this is just the ebb and flow of any season, right? It's kind of like, gosh... You know, it's just like, you know, Chatwood's looking good, and the starting pitching seems like it's coming through, and Chatwood looked like Chatwood from last year. Now, it's going to happen. I just don't expect it to happen against this offense against Kansas City, and that's the thing that's a head-scratcher. And I just, I think that they should bring Kimbrell in. I, I really do. Like, if he can't stem the tide here with one on and one out and down six runs, just bring Kimbrell in, because clearly Chatwood does not have it today. He's got, there's going to be another run here as Lopez goes around the third. So it's going to be 7 nothing. I would warm Kimbrell up and let him get some work in and maybe get some confidence because now it's not a safe situation. That doesn't matter. He needs to throw a couple of innings to, to solidify himself. And he can, if he can't win uh, or, or be able to slow down this offense, then maybe he shouldn't be on the team. Simple as that. It's coming to that point where how many more outings – as a fan, can you sit there and watch him and have him be comfortable coming out in any situation? It's coming to that point where it's like, all right, do they do they send him down? They picked up Herrera, who the White Sox just got rid of. Mm-hmm. At what point is Kimbrel going to be sent sent out to pasture? I mean, this. I mean, now he's going to be taken out. They're going to bring in Underwood, and he'll be a long man for them. So, but just, just. I mean, this is what happens. This is what happens. Like, you're depending on starting pitching, and for once, Chatwood didn't have it. That reminded me of the Chatwood from before, and so he's taken out of the game. And so we'll monitor that and keep our eyes on that from Coffin Stadium with the Cubs and the Royals. All right, coming up next, we talk about um, something that is uh, compelling to me about the Chicago Bulls and how they look at their head coach. It, everything ties into Boylan, NBC Sports Chicago, and more. We'll talk about it next right here on Under the Hood. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. Summer of football comes your way at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000. We celebrate the great game of football every night at 8 o'clock right here on Under the Hood. Follow the show on Instagram at uh, IGJHood. 
So this story here from the Chicago Sun-Times. Joe Cowley wrote this today. Financial concerns likely will keep Boylan as head coach. Uh-oh. So listen to this. Multiple reports say that the idea of a Chicago 8 bubble has all been popped and that the hope of the NBA granting the eight teams even a mini-camp scrimmage opportunity in September is on life support. That whole thing of a Chicago 8 and having those that are not part of the playoff picture, those that are not in Orlando in the bubble, I'm not down with that. I never liked that idea. I know it's going to be a long time between the when the league stopped and when they're going to start again. But hey, you know they they were not playoff teams. The non-playoff teams shouldn't be there. Okay, if the if the non-playoff teams were not there, we wouldn't have so much scrutiny on Zion Williamson whether or not he's in shape or not, and all this other nonsense with the Pelicans. Point is, is that from Cowley's piece, it says here that that's not the kind of news. Bulls executive vice president of basketball operations, Arturis Karnaschovas, was hoping to hear. A second bubble would have allowed Karnaschovas a much-needed opportunity to evaluate Boylan directly in games, game preparation practices, and film sessions. But the Sun-Times learned this week that even if Karnaschovas didn't like what he would have seen from Boylan, he likely would have been handcuffed from making a change. So it goes on further in the Sun-Times from Cali. According to several sources, there is... Growing, a growing thought that financial concerns that the Reinsdorfs have about the 2020-21 season will keep Boylan and most of his staff on the Bulls bench. It seems like the players' first motto for Connor Chauvis and Mark Eversley, were touting several months ago, will be pushed aside by money. Playing for the strap for cash card when the franchise is valued at $3.2 billion is a hard pill to swallow. Let me tell you something. I said it at the time, and I still believe this. Karnaschovas and Eversley probably wasn't going to fire Jim Boylan. Let's say up front also, you and I both know that Boylan is a boob. That he should not be the head coach for this Bulls team. That they should have someone else in place. There's several candidates that I would rather have than Jim Boylan as being the head coach of this Bulls team. I also said... That whenever the Bulls start playing again, it's an evaluation process. And so they were probably going to allow Jim Boylan to fire himself in the job by allowing him from whenever the league starts again to, what is it, January or whatever. And if the team get out to a bad start, then they would fire him. You know that he's not the long-term answer. You do recall when Jim Boylan was the head coach for this team, when he slid over 16 inches from Fred, Fred Hoiberg's chair, how it was a mutiny, how players didn't want to play for Jim Boylan. And you could see that players are somewhat lukewarm for Boylan anyway. And even if you think that Jim is a good coach or he needs a second chance or whatever, the one loss record tells you all you need to know about Boylan. That's enough. It's enough. The idea of just sliding over the assistant coach, even though the assistant coach was part of the coaching staff that underachieved, it made no sense for Boylan to be the head coach. But but you know what that tells you? That clearly Boylan was a narc, that he was a snitch, that he was a trick, that went up the back stairwell, more than likely, and talked to Bulls management about what Fred Hoiberg wasn't doing and having better answers to the questions that John Paxson and Gar Foreman had and said, you know what, Jim? You make a great point. Why don't you be the head coach and look at the results? Paxson probably feels like a moron. 
he's got generational wealth and he's good. He's an NBA champion. He's, you know, all that stuff. But you took Jim Boylan's word for it. And because he has a, a, a work ethic and he claps his hands and all this stuff. And so that's more what I want. Well, you just had Tom Thibodeau and you didn't want him. Then you have Fred, Fred Hoiberg comes in and tries to treat the players like men. You didn't want him. So Jim Boylan is the head coach. And from what I understand, there was conversations about Jim Boylan from Paxton and Gar going up to Reinsdorf. And I'm thinking Reinsdorf said, well, this is the person that you chose. You got to deal with it. We're not paying more money for, for coaches that you're firing for them to not work for our team. You're firing them. You got you, you hired them. You got to deal with it. That's what I understand about the Bulls situation. As we talk about this on under the hood with Jonathan hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So, what I'm getting at with this is, is that, as Cowley says, Boylan is making $1.6 million. It's one of the lowest salaries in the league. But yet, maybe financial constraints is the reason why that Boylan will stay? Really? That's the same Reinsdorf that has a piece of NBC Sports Chicago, allowing friends of mine to, to walk, allowing them to leave. Because of financial constraints. Everyone's going through it. Radio stations are going through it. Businesses, as you will know, are going through it as far as being furloughed or being fired or, or laid off, all this stuff, right? But Reinsdorf, as of late, in several columns, talking about financial constraints and how the Sox won't be making any money. Well, no one's making any money right now. You, you don't you have any butts and seats. But it doesn't mean that you're so cash-strapped that you look at the bull situation and say, you know what, we just can't hemorrhage that money. We gotta, we gotta make sure that we hold on to Jim Boylan. Jim is the thing that you, like, you don't keep uh, sports talk live going, and you don't think that my friend Lawrence Holmes deserves to still be doing the Bears post game shows. So, you know, but but yet Boylan is the guy that you think that should be saved in all this. I want, just think about it for a second. Yes, there are other guys like uh, like the Hawk, Adrian Griffin, and Udoka, and others that could be in this position to be the head coach for the Bulls. But if Cowley is correct that from his sources that Reinsdorf's looking at the bottom line saying that, uh, that $1.6 million salary, even though it's one of the lowest in the league for a head coach, yeah, we got to hold on to him. Got to hold on to him because we just can't just eat that salary. Why not? It's a, it's a franchise that makes billions of dollars. And yes, there is no baseball. Yes, there is no basketball at the United Center uh, as far as fans going to those stadiums. But it doesn't mean that you look at the bull situation and say, well, because Jim makes a certain amount of money, we can't, we can't let that salary go. We've got to make sure that he works within the parameters of what we want, no matter if it's a detriment to the team. That's bad. It's bad. What is $1.6 million to Jerry Reinsdorf or for, to the Bulls organization? Now, whoever the Bulls bring in as a head coach, keep in mind, that's not going to be some quick fix. The Bulls are not a top eight team just because you fired Jim Boylan because of a number of factors. Number one, you have to find someone as a go-to guy for this Bulls team. Zach Levine on one of these good teams I'm watching the bubble in Orlando is a third option offensively. A guy that can be able to knock down threes or be exciting going to the basket, all those things. But on a good team, 
Zach Levine's not a, not a number one option, not even a number two option. But on this team, he's a number one option. That's a problem. That's no shade at his game. It's just that he's not a leading man for a good basketball team. He'd be a piece to a basketball team. Marketing, not happy with Jim Boylan. Not happy about how he's been, been used. Who knows if he's going to be here for the long haul, but he has to deal with Jim Boylan. And there's another, a couple of other young players on this roster that look over to the bench and need some help, and they got Jim Boylan just clapping his hands. You know, Jim is well-intentioned as far as someone who wants to motivate and he wants to win badly, but it's just not, that's just not the answer. If you're Karnaschelvis and if you're Eversley, you're looking at this and you're saying, um, we had some guys in place that we thought we would try to uh, maybe put in as a head coach. But if they're handcuffed from the beginning, Eric, let me make sure it's very clear. If I'm taking the job, if I take any job, I have to have some parameters uh, within me taking that job. Like if I'm Karnaschelvis or Eversley and I know that Jim Boylan's a boob, the fir- one of the first questions is, well, can I bring my head coach in? If the answer is no, I balk at the opportunity to uh, to bring him in, uh, you know, to, to bring in, to take that job or decide to be the head coach of the Bulls. Because here's the thing. If I'm the vice president of basketball operations or if I am the uh, general manager, I need full autonomy as much as possible. The owner will always have. The owner will always have his say you know that but at the same time i need to be able to look at the situation and say if i'm going to clean up this place if i'm going to clean up the bulls i need the opportunity to bring in my own head coach boylan's not the answer absolutely not so to me eric it all comes down to this i if i'm going to be in charge i got to bring in my own guy and if that's not clear when I first take the job, I'm not sure I take the job. Right. I feel like that had to be part of the conversation when Carnesovich was hired. And now they're just going to turn around and go back on it because of COVID. Is that like what their excuse is? Because there's no way I can picture anyone taking that job with knowing how this Bulls, the organization's been run the last 20 years. Taking that job and being told you have to keep this head coach because we say so. Because that's been the bad culture it's been forever. So I feel like they're just using COVID and rolling back that as an excuse. That's the only explanation I could think of. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's $1.6 million. It's a lot of money to you and I. It's a lot of money to a lot of people. But to Jerry Reinsdorf and this franchise that's valued at $3.2 billion, uh, I think they'll be fine. I don't, I don't think that you got to fold the tent on the franchise just because you fired Jim Boylan and kick him out the door and, and his staff. You want to start fresh and new. Jim Boylan just retards the progress for where you're trying to get to uh, as an organization. As I mentioned, you could go that route anyway if you're Eversley and Karnaschovas and say, okay, when we come back, we'll see if, what Boylan can do. If they get off to a slow start, then we got to fire him. But here is what you don't want. When the season uh, comes back after this restart, after this restart, the hope is is that you still got a head coach that you that you could use, a head coach that you have on your short list, because some of these jobs might be taken. You know, that, that's that's something to consider as we talk about this in Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, the ESPN Chicago app. So I saw this piece by Cowley, and it made sense to me. 
because I've been seeing this from a Nightingale piece, talking to Ryan Zorf and a couple other people regarding the money situation, uh, where Ryan Zorf's like, oh, you know, we're not going to be making, we're going to be losing so much money on the, uh, on the Bulls and the White Sox because of no fans. Well, I mean, that was going to come because of COVID nineteen, but it doesn't necessarily mean you stop business. And I, I just think that it's it's interesting that. This is where you start saving money on a coach that's a that's a boob, and yet you're letting people go and shutting down shows are part of the reason why shows are being shut down on NBC Sports Chicago. Coming up, oh, this is be interesting. Uh, one of, uh, I guess you could say, an employee of Jerry Reinsdorf speaks out, and I agree with him 100. percent We'll take your phone calls as well. 312-332-ESPN. 332-3776 is our phone number. Under the hood. That's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. But what's the odds? We have Giolito going, I'm sorry, not Giolito, Gio Gonzalez going on the south side. And then you've got Chatwood going in Kansas City for the Northsiders. That uh, sounds like good money going the other way because of the pitching matchup. Pound the overs. Pound the overs. Ooh, boy. Chatwood's been already chased by uh, Royals uh, offense. That's not been great. And the White Sox taking on Milwaukee over a guaranteed rate. We're keeping our eyes on it. There's still no score between the Sox and the Brewers. Glad that you're with us here. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. We have Summer of Football coming your way at the top of the hour. Excited to hear from Howard Griffith, two-time Super Bowl champion, Big Ten Network. Get his thoughts about um, something that's different about college athletics this year. Also, Jeff Darlington on the NFL, some of those storylines as well, part of our 8 o'clock hour right here on ESPN 1000. Here is, um, here's something that I enjoy. I enjoy the truth. I enjoy the truth, especially when it comes to my sports. I enjoy the truth when you are having analysts, former players, not only just speaking their mind about the games, but just speaking their mind and being truthful with you. I know that is damaging for some people because you, you want your athlete or ex-athlete to be able to teach you the game or entertain you in one way, shape, or form. Ozzie Gian on NBC Sports Chicago, this dude here has become the Charles Barkley of baseball uh, as far as uh, being an analyst for Major League Baseball. The way his analysis has been for the White Sox has been pretty interesting. And again, we're just through, what is it, August 6th? We haven't even gone through like four or five weeks of this, and Ozzy already has been entertaining. And the reason why that he's been entertaining is because he's been speaking his mind. And this is what Ozzy does. Hopefully he'll be able to stay in that job and continue to speak his mind because now, after games or before games, you want to hear what he has to say. And so... He said something that I've been saying for a long time about Nick Swisher. Let's go back to NBC Sports Chicago, hear what Ozzy had to say. Oh, oh my God. Nick, nobody can compare that with Nick Swisher. I, I hate Nick Swisher with my heart. <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. You want to get into that a little more or no? No, not really, but I think he hit me back. That's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But yeah I can't, you, I can't. you guys just didn't get along. Didn't, didn't work out. No, no, I know. I, I, I never talked to him. I was managing him, but I don't like the way his attitude was all fake. 
Yeah. And I don't like fake people. All right. So he was only in with the White Sox for one year, and then he moved on. It was one year too long. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. That's just That's just so good. And the reason why I like that is because he's honest. He said the same thing that I was saying about Nick Swisher being around that clubhouse. You know, Nick Swisher, Eric, was one of those guys that if he went over four, he, he would be dour. He'd be so sad. If he went four for four and the team lost, he'd be happy. You know, was, Carlos Lee was like that. <laughs> he was the same way. You go in that clubhouse, you go in the dugout, and just like, uh, you look at the stat sheet, he goes, oh, I went four for four, I went uh, four for five, in a loss. As long as he's happy, right? But if if the team won and Swisher went 0 for 4, not the same guy. But every time the camera's on, oh, the big smile, hey, everything's great, everything's great, everything's good. It's so fake. He it's came so in fake. as one of those guys that was supposed to like be this energy, this great clubhouse person. And I feel like in no time flat, everyone saw through him. Exactly what you said. He he turned it on for the cameras, and that was it. I'm just, I'll just tell you this. You've been listening to me and working with me for a long time. You rarely hear me say this about an athlete. I just I just couldn't stand him. I, I just could not stand him because he was not White Sox baseball. There is a definition of that, of the toughness, okay? There is a, de- there is a definition of you know, being who you are. And Swisher was never himself. It was, he put on an act. And that's really something for a second-generation ball player because his dad played very well uh, in the big leagues. And he just he does this now on television, on Fox. The big smile and just like everything's great, everything's great. Like, no. Like, it's one thing to be a positive person. But you have to understand that that wears on teammates when they're not playing well. And to be that bubbly personality um, and people can see through it, that's a problem. I never liked – he's my, one of my least favorite White Sox of all time. It's it's really funny. Like, it, it's okay to be that optimistic person, but bring that same energy. You know what I mean? Like, when it's involving you, he's this optimistic, upbeat, gotcha, and everything like that. But when he's down, it's the, it's the exact opposite. And I've heard so many stories of him being rude to reporters and just in yes. the clubhouse and just... He seems to have the personality of a modern day like TikTok star. That's who he had back then. <laughs> right. That's fair. Like everything's great, everything's great until you stop hitting record like, oh my life sucks. Exactly. He's just doing it. Everything in his life life was done for likes, and that's it. <laughs> so he was ahead of his time, actually then. Kinda was. Kinda was. <laughs> that makes sense. As you listen to Out of the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN one thousand and the ESPN Chicago app, and that's why I sent that video to Carmen earlier because when Carmen and I were working together on this show, I would refer to him as Dirty 220 because, you know, he, whatever his number was, was with the Sox, was 20? It was 30, 30 20, 30. Dirty 30. Dirty yes, 30, right. Uh-huh. And I called him Dirty 220 because that's what he would average because he <laughs> sucked. Great. And he was terrible. And I couldn't stand him on the Sox. I'm like, this guy is not even close to being a White Sox player. Not for me, not for my taste. I just think it was just a bad choice, bad locker room choice. And so when Ozzy says he couldn't stand him, he, he said he hated him. Like, that's strong. But you know what? He's the one that had to manage him and realize that Nick wasn't real. So, And he's still doing that now on TV. Didn't it hey, feel like Swisher so. was on the Sox for much more than one year? Was it that bad? Because he said he was only there for one year. And to my head, I'm like, oh, my God, that Nick Swisher era was so annoying. It, it was, was one year. I'm surprised. It was. I couldn't stand him. 
<laughs> I could not stand him on the White Sox. And again, you do you ever hear me say that about any player? Usually, no, no, you, not 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 unless there's a reason for it, like clear <laughs> like reason where they're fake and rude or just an awful person. Yeah, I never. I rarely say that, but it's just it's just the case. Um, so. As we talk about Reinsdorf, uh, Reinsdorf employees, that's one because Ozzy works for NBC Sports Chicago. By the way, nice studio for NBC Sports Chicago, but yet Boylan stays. Okay, that's interesting. But speaking of Boylan, so we can go back in time and hear from uh, Joe Cowley about this because the question was posed whether or not he felt that Jim Boylan, could he be back as Bulls coach? I can honestly say right now at 11, whatever it is today, that Jim Boylan currently feels like he'll be coaching the Bulls next season. Now, should that worry Bulls fans that he's so confident? And why is he so confident? Has he been guaranteed something from Jerry Reinsdorf? Because I think of the, the interviews, the Zoom interviews, the talks that they've had with the players, um, some other circumstances behind the scenes, that Arturis and, and, and Mark Eversley have, have found out and put together, in their mind they are already conducting a coach search. But like I said, at the end of the day, it all has to go through the boss, and it all has to be signed off on the boss. And It'll be interesting. If he says, no, you're keeping Jim, I wonder how Arturis and Eversley will react and will they regret taking this job with the Bulls. I don't take the job with the Bulls unless I know I can change the head coach. I mean, it, it, we always have a collaborative effort, right? It's like with the Bears situation, where it should be on Matt Nagy and the coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, to determine whether or not Trubisky starts or should um, should his backup start and Nick Foles. But, you know, you always see the general manager stepping out saying, oh, it's going to be a collaborative effort. Like, no. Like, no, no, Ryan Pace should not be one of the determining factors on who starts. You brought him in. You gave me a choice. So now I should be able to make that choice. Pace should not be able to make that choice. It should be the coaches that work closely with the quarterback. And the same thing here. The head coach, it should. if Eversley and Carter Chauvis take this job, they should have full autonomy to be able to change what they want. And clearly, you know, the Reinsdorf feels like there's some financial crunch because there's no butts in seats at guaranteed rate or the United Center. But still, like, if you want change, allow me to change. Otherwise, I don't need the job. You know, that that's how I'd look at it. Um, so I just think that's interesting. So Brian Windhorst was asked the same question about Boylan. If Boylan will be back in the 2020 season. Uh, obviously, they've had their opportunities to make a change, and they have not elected to do that. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, Jim really wants an opportunity to follow through with this group, and I think that, there, that he has the support of people in, uh, in the ownership group who, who feel like he should be given that. But supposedly, our tourists was given the green light to do what he wants, so we'll see. Um, I know that Jim really, really wants to have another opportunity with this team. And, and Jim believes that he can, that he can coach the team the way our tourists wants them to, wants them to play. He thinks especially, um, you know, the Bulls improve their tempo a lot. And that was one of the things that concerned me was our tourists said the day he was hired, you know, look, I want to run an up-tempo offense, and the Bulls have not been an up-tempo team. But they actually did improve this last year, and Jim thinks that you know that he can run the kind of team that uh, that Arturis wants to run, and he thinks he should be given the opportunity. And you know, the one thing with the Bulls, um, 
I think I might have told you guys this a few months ago. I know that they say that they are going to change, but to me, the Bulls all always operate with fiscal responsibility. They do not operate like a big market team. And we're going into a year next year where I believe if not every team, virtually every team will operate in the red, including the Bulls. The Bulls will very likely, after decades of being heavily profitable, will be operating in the red next year. And, you know, part of this arithmetic is do you want to hire another coach and pay Jim Boylan off? And, you know, I know that you can swear to me it doesn't matter, but the Bulls' history tells me that that's a, a factor here. And Jim Boylan, part of the reason why he may, oper- may get another year is because they don't want to pay two coaches next year. Okay. I just think that you know a couple of things are swimming in my head right here. One of them is is that if the general manager and the vice president of basketball operations wants the Bulls to play a certain way, a different way, you don't change that in midstream unless you're changing the roster, right? I mean, the idea that well we need to play more up tempo, well, so how does that happen with this head coach and this coaching staff when it's one of the slower teams in the NBA where it's more half court than trying to get up and down the floor? Now, for a young team, one of the younger teams in the league, yeah, you want them to get up and down the floor, but that's that's not how they were coached. And so now in this during this off time, he's going to get the team together for them to learn a new offense? Mm. A new head coach and new coaching staff, maybe. But I'm still not even sold on the players that the Bulls have. That's the other thing, too. All right, Kobe White's young. Zach Levine is a third piece on a good team, but number one on this team, and that's a problem. Laurie Marketing, Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr. is a is a veteran player. But uh, you know, Daniel Gafford's a young player. You gotta change a lot of this roster. How about this, Eric? How about if I tell you this? This this particular roster, this depth chart, is got to change and turn over for about seventy five percent. It needs to change in order for the Bulls to compete. And Zach Levine can't be part of it. I'm just saying, like, this. I'm not taking a shot at him. I'm just saying, like, if he's the vocal point of your offense, you are Sacramento. You're Phoenix, and that's that's not good enough if you're trying to compete to be one of the top eight teams in the East. I, I, I'm surprised we haven't heard whispers of Eversley and Karsovis out there shopping, seeing what Levine will get, seeing what Markkinen will get, seeing like seeing what Gafford and, and like, cause that core isn't a championship winning core. And I think they know it. I, I'm, I'm hope they know it at least. So, so who's to say they're not out there shopping, but then again, when you bring in talent and you flip it over, now we're going to try and, and, and raise talent with Jim Boylan. So the whole thing right now is just upside down without any guidance at the, at the head coach position. I really, I mean, it's, Whenever we get back to everyone playing in the regular season, whenever this happens, so you're going to go back with the same team and you might have the same problems because you don't have enough talent. You don't have enough veteran talent. Let's put it this way. You don't have enough veteran talent to make a difference, to make a dent in being one of the top eight teams in the East. And again, I like marketing. I like Carter. I like I like Kobe White's upside. I like Otto Porter as a veteran on this team. I like Zach Levine, but just not on this team. That's just, you know, you're trying to win with Archie, Archie Diacono and Denzel Valentine. And just like, you know, you, you've got to be able to get better with this roster if you want to really seriously compete. All right, coming up next, I didn't know that you could say no. That's next right here on Under the Hood. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing? Follow us on the ground. 
at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. We'll hear from Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network and two-time Super Bowl champion at 8 o'clock right here on ESPN 1000 for our summer of football segment. We'll give you something football every night at 8 o'clock. Glad that you're with me here on this Thursday night. You know, I didn't know you could say no. I'm a Gen Xer and grew up on the South Side, grew up with my grandparents. Old school, as, you know, as hard as they were on me from time to time, they taught me a lot of discipline because they're from the old school, right? And when I read the Players' Tribune yesterday and see the hashtag Big Ten United, I said, wow, that is something. Listen to this quote. While we appreciate the Big Ten's recently announced plan for the upcoming season, we believe that the conference's proposal falls short in certain areas. Given that the players are the primary stakeholders in the business of college sports, we believe any course of action moving forward needs to include player input. We are deeply disappointed with the lack of leadership demonstrated by the NCAA with respect to players' safety during the COVID-19 pandemic. So I talked about this yesterday on the um, first take show on the on ESPN radio and you can hear it by the way that show on the archives of the under the hood podcast is look for under the hood with Jonathan Hood and you may hear uh, my comments on this from yesterday when it all broke but from the players tribune the players listed their big 10 demands through, through COVID-19 like sufficient penalties for non-compliance and mandate for athletics personnel to report suspected violations and ban the use of COVID-19 liability waivers now, not only did the Pac-12 have a unity group put together, but also the Pac-12 had one as well. And that one has things that says coverage for all out-of-pocket medical expenses related to COVID-19, short-term and long-term, incurred by activities um, from college athletes. But the Pac-12 was about you know, talking about what's going on with Black Lives Matter and talking about unity as far as uh, race across the board. So think about college sports as a whole. Think about if you were involved in college sports, know someone that was involved in college college sports. The most powerful person at a lot of these universities are the coaches, the athletic directors, and the coaches. So it is interesting to me, not bad, it's interesting to me to read how players have empowerment on the college level. Some can't stand it in the NBA, thinking that NBA players have too much power, or the NFL has too much power. But in college sports, you're getting college athletes saying, hey, I'm incurring the risk. This is COVID-19, and just because you have a whistle around your neck doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to go out and play. And so you think about the players came together, Pac-12 and Big Ten, to have a unity group using the hashtag Big Ten United, players of the Big Ten, same thing in the Pac-12. And they believe that the NCAA, through their collaboration with the conference, they need to devise a comprehensive plan to ensure the safety and well-being of the players. That makes sense, right? Of course you want to think about the athlete, but you know, some schools don't. Eric, the story about Colorado State, I don't know if you're familiar with this, there's a story about Colorado State. It was written by Myron Metcalf, my buddy from ESPN.com. The coaches told some of the players, if you have COVID-19, don't disclose it. What is that? 
<laughs> see, don't, see what I mean? It's crazy. They, I, and yeah. and the, like you said, with who the people hold in power, I, I'm not surprised or I wouldn't be surprised if this is happening all over the country, especially like when the NFL starts too. how many people are just going to hide their symptoms. See, but, but on the college level though, where you're 18, 19, 20, 21, right. And it could be as coach as big as Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney, whatever. And they have the whistle and those are the ones that can cut your playing time or decide whether you thumbs up or thumbs down, whether or not you play or not, but the players are taking it upon themselves to say, Coach, we know you have the power. We know you own the state because of this program, but we're the players. There are some, some coaches that couldn't care less about COVID-19 and would have their players run out there anyway, run through a pandemic, run through a wall, whatever. We got to win the next game. But the players are like, nope, nope. Here's what we need to do. You make sh- me need to make sure that I'm safe. That's strong. I, I don't know if people really get the enormity of that, where – Players stand up for themselves because players have always been the ones that had to be subservient and be able to say, hey, this is what we are supposed to do. Coach says so. That's great. But in this pandemic, they're standing up for themselves. Here's the big test, though. Where is the unity group for the SEC players? (laughs) I want to see what that looks like, right? Are you going to tell some of these big, big, uh, big ticket head coaches where to go? That'll be interesting to see. I haven't seen one yet. I've seen the Pac-12, seen the Big Ten. I want to see this in other conferences as well. But I, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm proud that players are standing up for themselves. Saying, hey, you know, I know you want me to play, but I got to make sure it's safe. It seems reasonable. But for some programs and some coaches, it's not. In two minutes, we'll hear from Howard Griffith from the Big Ten Network about this. As the Big Ten schedule was re- released just the other day, we'll talk about it right here on Under the Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.